news talk shows, um, sometimes political in nature, often that way, and, and sometimes there's just a host and, and a guest being interviewed, and, and sometimes there's a whole panel of people, and they're discussing a topic or addressing a, a question that's brought up, and discussion goes back and forth, and uh, often the responses seem to have nothing to do with the question. And somehow the issue gets totally redefined, reworked. Sometimes it even gets totally ignored. Um, and, and often the voices, uh, especially when more than one, the voices get uh, more than two. It gets so loud uh, talking over one another that you can't even understand what's being said. And uh, when, they, when they put that into a transcript, that's when they, when they type out everything that was said in in that show, when they put it on a transcript so you can read it online, uh, what they, when those moments where everyone is talking and no one's really listening and it's just voices over one another and you can't really understand what's being said on that transcript, they just put this word, crosstalk. And as we begin uh, this, this series, as we began it last week, we talked about how Jesus introduces the matter of his going to the cross in the middle of Mark's gospel. So Mark records about eight chapters worth of events and actions by Jesus and people's response to that, and nothing at all is ever mentioned about the cross and about Jesus' purpose and intention to go there and what's going to happen there. Nothing at all is mentioned until we get to the, about the middle of chapter 8, and then Jesus introduces the idea of him going to the cross and calls his disciples and any would-be followers to take up their cross and follow him. And the idea that, that Jesus brings up, this concept about the cross and, and what he's going to have to go through and calling others to follow him, it's not initially understood. It's not initially received. It's not grabbed a hold of. It's not, it's not taken. And so soon after that, he brings it up again. He does so in, in uh, chapter 9, I believe it is, and then in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, the third time Jesus brings up going to the cross. We find it in verse 32. Mark chapter 10, verse 32, if you've got your Bible uh, with you or in, on your phone or on the screen, wherever you want to check it out. It says this, they were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. I want to remind you that they've, they've now hit about the three-year mark. The disciples have been with Jesus about three years by this time. This is the third time he brings this up. The disciples were filled with awe. People following behind were overwhelmed with fear. And taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more, for the third time, begins to describe everything that's about to happen to him. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, 
you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of my suffering. But I have no right to say who will be on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever wanted to ask this question? I, I know that I have at times. Have, have you ever wanted to ask this question? How do we tell the story of Jesus? This thing, this gospel story, the gospel means good news. How do we tell this good news story of Jesus without having the cross in the middle of it? I mean, how, how do we tell the story of Jesus without the cross in the middle of it? And some of you might even be thinking, well, I mean, isn't that, I mean, wouldn't that just be, I mean, ridiculous? I mean, what, wouldn't it even be, what's that word, you, what is it, heresy? Like, just, just totally, totally wrong. Completely wrong. But honestly... When I was looking at this passage and considering all that Jesus did and all that he calls us to, there are sometimes I feel like I would like to leave it out. Hey, Pastor, I'm really, really disappointed in you. Why, why, why would you talk that way? What are you talking about? I mean, why would we ever leave the cross out? I mean, we, we sing about the cross. We talk about the cross, we put it on our walls, we, we hang it around our necks, it's on our logos, it's, it's ever, I mean, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. What, would, what do you mean, leave the cross out? I mean, I, I recognize all of that. I know all that. But when you take the cross off the wall and you take it off of a shirt or off of a chain or whatever, and you really look at what the cross is all about and what it demands, what it meant for Jesus and what he called us to when he said, take up your cross. When you look at what it represents and what it really means, and the people in that century knew what it meant, it was a symbol of suffering and shame. And when Jesus went to the cross died on the cross, it didn't really clean all that up. And when he says to his disciples and would-be followers, even those of us here today, take up your cross and follow me, it still represents suffering and shame and burden. 
And there's just sometimes when I don't want to, I don't want to tell you or tell myself or preach that truth that for us to carry a cross, it means sacrifice. It could mean a lot of discomfort. That it's not calling us to an easy Christian life. So there's a little bit of me that wants to say, is there any way we could leave this out of the story? And you know that's a rhetorical question. You know there's no way if we're going to be true to the story of who Jesus is and what's in the Scripture that, that we could ever leave it out. Well, let me ask you another ridiculous, maybe heretical or cowardly question as well. How do we live for Christ? How can we live for Christ? How can we live a Christian life without following Jesus' example? Do that. Any way we can live for Jesus without following His example? Is there, is there any way that I can just believe in Jesus and like what He said? And like him, but not actually follow his example and how I live out my daily life. You know, believe, yes, I believe in, his, in the virgin birth. I believe that he lived and did all kinds of great things and miracles. And I believe he died on the cross for our sins. I even believe that he rose from the dead. But do I actually have to take on this business, this daily business of living out the life of a servant. Any way around that? In uh, 1878, William Booth was uh, founding the Salvation Army. Salvation Army is known all around the world, and we know it very well. We usually associate it with the bells ringing at Christmas time, but they do great work to to minister to people on every level of, of need the year round. When William Booth was founding the Salvation Army and uh, the word was going out to people all over the world about this beginning and uh, people were starting to enlist and join his army, there was a man uh, here in, uh, in America who went over to England to join William Booth's Salvation Army there. He was a, a Methodist pastor. His name was Samuel Logan Bringle. And uh, he had a strong church, pastoring a strong church here in the U.S. to go over and join William Booth's Salvation Army. He would later become the, the first commissioned commander or officer here in the U.S. But when he first met William Booth and first signed up for the Salvation Army, William Booth accepted his services his offer to be a part of the army, he accepted it kind of grudgingly, kind of reluctantly. And he said to Samuel Bringle, he said, you've been your own boss for a long time. This is going to be tough for you. And in order to instill humility into Samuel Bringle, William Booth set him to work cleaning the boots of other Salvation Army trainees. And after doing that for a little while, Samuel Bringle said to himself, have I followed this calling, this urging in my heart, this motivation to come all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and join up this army in order to just polish 
other people's boots? Did I give up what I had back there just to, to shine shoes? And then he said, almost as if he'd just gotten that thought out of his mind, he said he had this vision of Jesus bending over the feet of those rough men that were fishermen that Jesus called to be disciples. And Samuel Bringle bowed his head and he said, Lord, I get it. You wash their feet. So I'll shine their boots. Jesus said in verses 33 and 34, he described completely that the call to the cross for him was going to amount to being mocked and spit on and flogged and beaten and whipped. He was going to be put in a low, low place, humiliated in front of the mob and the crowd. He said all of that, and then did you get the contrast when we read this story earlier? Did you see what immediately followed that? I mean, Jesus' last words are, they will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him, but after three days he'll rise again. And then John, I mean, Mark immediately records this, as does Matthew. James and John come to Jesus, and you almost kind of get this deal, like they come to Jesus and say, that uh, stuff you were just saying right there, that's, that's really kind of interesting. But we had a, a, a question for you. We've, we really want you to do us a favor. Did they, did they not hear what he just said? Or, or did they just somehow totally change the meaning of what he was saying to fit into their categories? He was talking about the cross... And they come to him and said, basically, listen, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just somehow, what got lost there? Sometimes uh, the meaning, even we change the meanings of what Jesus said. We change the meanings of lots of things. I was reading a, a list this week uh, um, of new definitions of words, that I, I, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you. Some new definition that have been given to some words. And uh, the, the, the first of those was uh, uh, the, the word experience. That, that new definition is that marvelous thing that enables you to recognize a mistake when you make it again. I thought that was pretty good. The word vegetarian. Did you know the definition for the word vegetarian? It's actually an old Indian word meaning lousy hunter. Did you know that? <laughs> How about, um, how about the greeting card? When you care enough to send the very best, but not enough to actually write something yourself. Like that. The definition of the word calories. Tiny creatures that live in your closet and sew your clothes tighter every night. It's not aware of that. That's what that meant. Here's a good one. Kind of follows from that. Uh, the, the, def, the new definition for the word abdicate. New definition for the word abdicate means to give up all hope of ever having a flat stomach. That's what the word abdicate means. And the word conclusion, conclusion, which the old joke is uh, a word that means absolutely nothing to a preacher, 
But uh, the new definition of conclusion is the place you reach when you're tired of thinking. I wonder how, how tired we get of thinking and considering what we've heard over and over about what Jesus said and what he calls us to. And how often do we totally somehow miss the meaning of Jesus' words and calling? I wonder sometimes if, just like in this instance that we read in Mark chapter 10, is Jesus talking give while we are talking get? And somehow in the crosstalk, we totally lose the meaning. Is it all getting confused? Jesus said so clearly, and back in Mark chapter 8, Mark even, even puts these words in. He says, he spoke plainly about this. Not mysteriously, not using words people couldn't understand. He clearly said, I'm going to the cross, and then said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And then we get responses like James and John. Ma Matthew's, account, Matthew's account says James and John brought their mommy to the scene. Have, have you noticed that before? Have you read in Matthew's account of this same exchange where Jesus describes this and then James and John pull him aside? Matthew says they brought their mother. And their mother says, listen, when you get through all this uh, other stuff you're talking about, which I'm sure it's all good, but it's going to lead to something better, right? When you get past that stuff, can my boys sit on your right and your left in the places of honor? When you read that, and when you read James and John's response here and their request in light of what Jesus said, there's sort of something about it when you read that. It all seems sort of pathetic. <laughs> These guys were just pathetic. How could you hear what Jesus just said about the cross and then come up to him and say, uh, hey, how about a throne? It would all seem so ridiculous and so pathetic if we didn't do the same thing. I, I came across uh, some new... Um, Revelation in what has been called the Orthodox Rites of Pretend Christianity. The Orthodox Rites of Pretend Christianity. And among those rites, they had this prayer written. It goes like this. O oh, dear, wonderful Father of our incredibly unbelievable experience, we like to feel assured that we may always come to Thee when we feel like it. And now, dear Lord, we want quite naturally and simply and just in a word to ask Thee very frankly to give us our heart's desire. Thou art the comforter, as the old story puts it, and so Thou art our friend, for we are very fond of comfort. Writer Robert Raines poetically said it this way. He said, I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, 
satisfy my needs. Give me strategic advantage. I exploit people ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own. And Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors. Your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank check for whatever I want. I am like James and John. The other disciples thought it was really pathetic. We just read it says they were indignant. I think that means they were so angry they lost their dignity. And they were really, really upset with James and John. How could you guys, how could you, how could you ask such a thing? Just ridiculous. Really angry. And that would, that would have some merit to it if, if you didn't know what happened in chapter 9, what Mark recorded there, where Jesus came up to them and said, what were you guys talking about? Or you were walking down the road. And they didn't want to answer him. And he already knew what they're talking about. He knows what you're thinking and talking about today. He already, he already knew that answer and he says, and they knew he knew, so, yeah, well, yeah, you were talking about who among you is going to be the greatest. This is all of them. These are the guys that are mad at James and John I think maybe they're mad at James and John because they asked Jesus first for the places of honor. They were already thinking that way. And I want to remind you again, at this point, Jesus has been with the disciples for about three years. I mean, they've seen who he is. They've seen what he does. They see how he treats people. They see how his actions and his words line up with each other. And now for the third time, he's telling them where his life's headed and where they're headed and how they should be following him. And they're still thinking about holding up a trophy. They're, they're still bearing a grudge instead of carrying a cross. Several days ago, uh, Pastor Matt and, and our youth pastor, we were riding on the beltway, and it was uh, later in the day, uh, kind of during, during rush hour, and we were coming along the, the north section of the beltway uh, between the airport and uh, 45, headed, uh, headed west, headed back this direction. And traffic was, was not good, which is, I mean, what's new? I mean, it was, it was, it's Houston around 5 o'clock, and uh, you're on one of the major highways, and traffic's bad, and that's just, that's just the, way it, the way it goes. And, uh, you know, we're trying to decide whether or not we're going to need to make some calls, so before we, are we going to make the, the places that we need to be and, and all of that? And, and, of course, even though it's 5 o'clock and it's rush hour, you're still wondering, you know, what's going on? Why is it like this? Why does it, it's surely something... And eventually, after crawling along for a mile or two, we came, came on the reason why it was as bad as it was, at least in that section at the time. There was a lady uh, in a small Toyota who was stalled out in the middle lane of the belt, the middle lane. You know, three lanes of traffic moving. She stalled out in the middle lane, 
and you know, and people are, are coming up and then getting around and taking off as fast as they can. And, and we get up and we she's just ahead of us and we see this. And Matt, in a moment of Christianity or whatever, <laughs> totally ignores the fact that we've got somewhere to be, and he says, We gotta help that lady. Well, I'm driving. So I pull over on the inside shoulder, which to me is just a dangerous place. I mean, it's not a wide shoulder. You know, they've got that, those concrete barriers down the middle. You know where I'm talking about. And, and we pull over, and, and, and we're, we just pull over. And so by this time, we're just ahead of her a little bit. And so people are getting around her and just then taking off. And, and, and somehow Matt manages to, to get across that that first lane of, of traffic and get to her and she's got her head down and he taps on the window and, and she's scared and shocked that anybody's approaching her. But he, he can, convinces her that he's, he's trying to help and I put on my hazard lights and I start to get out and I'm trying to figure out what should I, what exactly should I do here? Should I try to protect my car? Should I try to block traffic? And another guy on the other side of the street, on the far, the far lane, he pulled over on the other shoulder, he got out and, and he started stopping traffic, and Matt began to push after explaining to the poor lady how to put her car in neutral. He, he, he began to push, and then the other guy jumped in, and I was sort of getting people's attention, doing a very good job of it, and they were able to push her to the, to the shoulder on the far side uh, to safety. But what I, didn't, I did notice about that was, as Matt and this other gentleman were trying to help this lady and do this good deed, you could just see the people driving by, just whizzing by with an annoyed look on their face, like, how dare this lady break down, and why are these guys stopping traffic and helping? I mean, just, just, get her, just go. You could just, you could just see that expression. Annoyed that someone would actually help someone when it might interfere with our agenda. This picture to me in, in this section of Mark's gospel, it just makes it so clear that the one that we call Messiah, Jesus Christ, is a self-giver. A self-giver who dies for others, undeserving others, and then calls his followers to follow him in showing self-giving love. We can't be talking get while Jesus is talking give. We can't be demanding a full-service church when he's looking for a church full of service. He lived and he died to make us like him. And he did it willingly. He clearly knew where he was headed. He clearly knew what it was going to cost. And yet he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
Several years ago, in a, in a former job, my, uh, my wife was working uh, for a uh, pretty demanding boss and an interesting character. Very hardworking man, but uh, interesting, interesting guy. And somehow, somehow there was a connection made of, of relatives that he had in another city where we knew people and were in a church. And, and his relatives went to, uh, were going to this Easter production that this church was doing about the whole passion story, which, the, of course, the cross is central to that. And uh, he was going to be in town visiting them. And they invited him to go to this church that we were familiar with. And he went, and when he came back, he, he told Julie about it, and she asked him what he thought about it, and he said, you know, well, they did really well, but, you know, it's, it's just such a tragic story. Jesus' death, and Jesus himself made this very clear, Jesus' death is not a tragic accident. It was a supreme act of sacrifice coming right out of the heart of God, a supreme act of sacrifice to deliver us from our captivity to sin. It's described this way by Paul in Romans chapter 6 and verse 10. He says this, When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives... He lives for the glory of God. And verse 11 goes on to say, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I'd like to ask you this question. Have you received that? Have you received what Jesus did and why he did it? Have, have you taken it in such a way that you've, you've allowed him to free you from selfishness, self-destruction, from totally missing the meaning of who he is and what he offers? You bow your heads with me. And I'd like, I'd like while you, your heads are bowed for just, just a minute to just listen to some questions I want to ask you for you to reflect on. The first question is simply following from what we've been talking about here for a couple of weeks. It's this question, am I willing to carry a cross and follow Jesus? In other words, am I willing to take up my obedience and offer it to Jesus wherever that takes me? And how about this question? In light of what Jesus has done for me, how can I do less than what he asks? How can I offer him less than that? Here's another question that, that really hit me this week. What, what would my main prayer requests, 
I mean, the things that I'm really focusing on and really asking God for the most, not just when I'm trying to be proper, but what would my main prayer request sound like if they were made public? I wonder a little bit if it might sound like James and John. What about this question? Think about this. What's keeping me from serving? I don't mean just signing up for uh, some task, but what's keeping me from having the daily attitude of humility and servanthood and lifting other people up? What's keeping me from being a servant like Jesus? Two more questions. Is my pursuit of Christ-likeness as dedicated as my selfish pursuits have been? And this final question one more time today. Is Jesus talking give while I am hearing and talking, get. Lord, will you help us today to hear clearly and see clearly who you are and what you're asking. And help us to see that you're with us and by your grace, by your Spirit. And through your incredible, amazing grace and amazing love, we can become more and more like you and change the world. Change our church, change our community, change our families, change our lives to reflect your plans and purposes and, and point to you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to hear you clearly. Help us to see who you are and take up our cross and follow you. We ask this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's conclude our time today thinking about his amazing love and about who he is. Let's uh, continue to worship in that way. Let's also worship by giving our tithes and offerings out of love and gratitude to Him.